Good evening. It's 5.03 p.m. We do have a quorum of the city council present. So if the city clerk can let me know when we're broadcasting. Yes, Mayor. Just one moment. All right. We are broadcasting. Okay. Thank you. We can start the recording, please. Recording in progress. Good evening. And I'd like to call to order this special meeting of the Berkeley City Council for Monday, November 21st, 2022. And before we call the roll, I will play the COVID-19 meeting announcement recording. Pursuant to government code section 54953E and the state declared emergency, this meeting will be conducted exclusively through teleconference and Zoom video conference. The COVID-19 state of emergency continues to directly impact the ability of the members to meet safely in person and presents imminent risks to the health of the attendees. Therefore, please be advised that no physical meeting location will be available. Please be mindful that this meeting may be recorded as any public meeting may be recorded and all other rules of procedure and decorum will apply for meetings conducted by teleconference or video conference. Live captioned broadcasts of City Council meetings are available on Cable BTV Channel 33 and via Internet Accessible Video Stream on the City's website. To access the meeting remotely using the Internet, join from a PC, Mac, iPad, iPhone, or Android device using the URL indicated on the agenda for this meeting. If you do not wish for your name to appear on the screen, then use the drop-down menu and click on Rename to rename yourself to be anonymous. To request to speak, use the raise hand icon on the screen. To join by phone, dial the number indicated on the agenda for this meeting and enter the meeting ID. If you wish to comment during the public comment portion of the agenda, press star nine and wait to be recognized by the chair. Thank you. The first item on our agenda is roll call. I'd like to ask the city clerk to please call the roll. Council member Kesarwani. Here. Council member Taplin. Here. Councilmember Bartlett is absent. Councilmember Harrison? Here. Councilmember Hahn? Present. Councilmember Wengraff? Present. Councilmember Robinson? Present. Councilmember Drosty is absent. And Mayor Erging? Present. Thank you. A quorum of the City Council is present. Thank you very much. So this is a special meeting of the city council called to continue the city council's discussion of item one, the fair work week ordinance, adding Berkeley municipal code chapter 13.102. As the council and the public may recall, we had a discussion of this ordinance at our city council meeting on November 3rd, 2022. But that um, discussion, um, unfortunately, um, was not concluded as the meeting um, ended in an untimely manner. And so we did call the special meeting to um, continue the council's uh, consideration of this ordinance, as well as to take public comment. And uh, the way I'd like to um, structure our discussion tonight is um, we did hear from the Labor Commission previously, so um, I don't believe it's necessary to um, turn the floor over to them for another presentation. Um, I'd like to go first to Councilmember Harrison. Um, to present on the amendments that have been introduced to the ordinance. Then I'd like to go to the city manager's office to uh, make some comments. I know there's been a lot of um, work that's been done over the past several weeks to understand the, the effect of this potential policy 
on our city workforce. And so I believe they'll be prepared to speak to that. And then I wanna give each council member five minutes for council member to ask initial questions. Then we'll go to public testimony and then bring it back to the city council for further discussion and action. So with that in mind, I'd like to now uh, turn the floor over to Vice Mayor Harrison to um, present on the recent amendments that were submitted. Um, thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> first of all, I just wanna thank everyone for their pace, patience as we work through this item. Um, we had, as our starting point, the item as it was on the floor at the 11-3 meeting. Uh, the mayor had very helpfully simplified the applicability section, clarified that the benefits apply within one year or in any second or successor agreement, whichever is earlier. And we also at that meeting in the, what was on the floor at the time, removed the carve out for federally qualified health centers. Subsequent to that, and you'll see this in the supplemental, um, we I've added language to refer to where, whether employees have a bargaining agreement or not, not whether or not they are represented. We have some uh, bargaining units where people have organized, but they don't yet have an agreement. So we wanna make that clear distinction you either have an agreement or you don't have an agreement. Um, and we added two sentences, and I wanna pull up my screen if I might, um, and this will take a little explanation. This helps un uh, underscore the work that I've been doing with the, um, the uh, uh, staff in the last couple of weeks. Um, we have three edits, one of which was not in the packet that you got, the supplemental two, and I wanna apologize for that. The very first edit is here in the applicability section under section L, we had, there was a mistake that the words supportive housing were left in here. Some earlier um, version, we took out um, nonprofits that were not engaged primarily in the industries that, are, that we had listed, healthcare, manufacturing, et cetera. We're not intending to add a whole nother industry of supportive housing. So if there are a few healthcare workers in a supportive housing environment, but the primary business is supportive housing, they would not be covered by this ordinance. And I, I wanna thank the person who pointed this out to me and clarify that. So that's an important change. Um, we also, and I'm going down here, this is what was the bulk of the work that I did with the staff over the last two weeks. Uh, this is always our intention, but we wanna make really clear, there's nothing in this ordinance that changes a couple of key conditions of city employed. One of them is that None of these hours will be required to be distributed on the basis of seniority. Um, I don't think there was any indication that they would be, but the staff, and I appreciate this, wants it to be crystal, will not be, just by virtue of this ordinance. Somebody may negotiate something different, but this ordinance doesn't change that. This ordinance also, and this is the core of what we talked about, offering these additional hours does not in itself confer career status on any non-career employee. This is going to take me a little while to describe, but I'm going to let you know that the most of our conversation, I'm focused on that. And while I wish we had worked this out so that this was crystal clear as our intention from the beginning, it should have been worked out at the commission level and then the committee level and certainly before the last night before the, the meeting. I really appreciate Deputy City Manager Budenhagen, Director Ferris, our new HR director, Aram, and our budget staff were meeting with me to discuss the impacts of this ordinance. And they presented these two amendments. And with the presentation of these amendments, we have eliminated almost all the costs that would be associated with the city. Um, the new numbers that we received from city staff, which bring the cost to a minimal level, have been uh, will be revised out in a, in a moment even further, I believe, by Mr. Budenhagen. Um, but what we have now in terms of costs, because 
non-benefited, non-career employees do not receive benefits by definition under the municipal code, code, they will not receive benefits because of the passage of this ordinance. So what are the remaining costs? One of the remaining costs is the cost of the predictability pay, which will still apply to low-wage part-time city employees. Those people called in at the last minute and those people canceled at the last minute will still receive predictability pay. As of Friday, the deputy city manager and director Ferris indicated they thought that cost would be about $240,000. Today, they've gotten back to me and said they think it's actually more like $92,000. So I, I'm going to be changing my transmittal to, to show that amount. This supports a potential cost for approximately 675 part-time employees who might receive predictability pay, representing up to about $136 a person. We also have costs associated with existing labor laws and new scheduling and accounting needs. Um, in last year, I submitted in the AAO money for a community development project coordinator in HHCS to enforce all labor laws, including this law. And the request was, uh, as it was submitted, was not funded nor formally carried over for consideration in this year's AAO, even though this legislation was in the works at the time. Um, and then finally, in meeting with the staff, at Parks and Rec and the deputy city manager, they've indicated that while they believe that the scheduling system will create less chaos, will lead to better scheduling, and possibly cost savings on predictability pay, there is a cost to doing this better system. And that cost is the addition of a staff person for them to do the scheduling and some computer software. Um, they've estimated the cost of the staff at about $150,000, and they're working on the cost for the software right now. I think Mr. Boonhagen is going to address that. That number has come down a lot since Friday as well. Um, so, the, as I said, the bulk of our work was reviewing the original cost estimate and list of positions given to us by the city manager. At that time, she had originally estimated the cost at between $6 and $12 million a year, kind of an astounding number, and it would apply to 830 part-time employees. Um, we found that most of these employees actually do not qualify for this ordinance. Among those that were on the original list were retired annuitants, retirees who already get benefits from the retirement system, elected officials like us who already get full benefits, or in my case, none, because I get them as a retiree from San Francisco, and people who earn too much to qualify for the ordinance. But most of the remaining people are part-time employees who are definitionally unbenefited. This includes 160 seasonal workers, 135 non-benefit youth workers, 231 other intermittent non-benefit or temporary benefit non-benefited workers, um, and including 106 non-benefited recreation workers. Nothing in this ordinance changes that. And this language at the in this second uh, edit on this page makes that abundantly clear. It was true before, but we want to clarify here. So we've done that. Um, this leaves very few people. Um, Mr. Boonhagen mentioned to me that he could find none that would qualify for additional benefits, the health benefits, for example. And I could only find two. There was one in planning and one in HHCS who may be on the, under the ordinance if they went from three-quarter time to full-time might be getting a few more benefits. But since there's 75% time, they already get 100% health benefits. If they added more need, if we had more need for toxics work or work in planning, for that or an HHCS for um, nutrition services, 
they could and be, they would be required with these two permanent part-time people to offer them additional hours first. That could nominally increase the cost of the health benefits, but they're already in the health system and they're already in CalPERS. So there is not some huge unfunded liability. And the other thing that was really fascinating to find out, and I, this is very important too, is that there's a large number of people that definitionally under CalPERS cannot be enrolled in CalPERS. And I'm struggling to find the list, Mr. Budenhagen. But uh, this was passed many, many, many years ago. I believe it's like 1962. There's a list of positions that can never be in CalPERS. And they include recreation workers, health um, aides, nutrition people, like people that serve meals at senior centers, police interns, and a whole group of other people. And I'm so I get on the list now. Um, but the important point about this is it may be that at some date, CalPERS might say, these people are actually going to be in retirement, but right now they're not. Um, so that that kind of helped us adjust these these costs, and I'm very very grateful to that. So again, what we're left with is the cost of the predictability pay itself, which I would like to pay people if they're canceled. I don't think it's their fault if it rains or something. There's not enough people enrolled in a recreation program, and um, I want to just briefly before I conclude return to like the real world issue involved here. We just talked about a lot of technical stuff, but you know, there's human beings behind this ordinance. And we just got a letter from Linda Curry who talked about her adult, young adult children who experience abusive scheduling practices that lead to added stress, exhaustion on the job, and in one case, an, an injury, and, and a serious impact on their mental and physical health. She also referenced the issue of the harms of cloponing, something we haven't talked about on the dais, but this ordinance also says you can't be required to come back to work within 11 hours of when you've left work. Um, we've heard directly from Berkeley's McDonald's workers about the stress and difficulty and injustices of precarious scheduling. This harm is real in people's lives. And we're, we've heard from, and we'll probably hear more from low-wage students who are often the people that work in these, these part-time jobs. I consider their testimony and that of hundreds of other people in past meetings to be cries, cries for help, essentially. Um, and as I said before, this is the last thing I'll say, there's a healthy push and pull between the needs of lar larger businesses and their employees. I believe that this ordinance strikes the right balance. It doesn't apply to our smallest employers. It does not apply to nonprofits, restaurants, or franchisees with fewer than 100 employees globally. It does not apply to global... Uh, it does not apply to, um, as I said, nonprofits that are not in, um, larger in size and in one of these primary businesses. Um, global employees are defined as those in an integrated enterprise. What does that mean? If I own a restaurant here and I own a restaurant in Chicago, but they are managed completely separately, that's not an integrated enterprise. An integrated enterprise is when I own a restaurant here and I own a restaurant in Emeryville, and I can call George from Emeryville and say, you have to show up because Joe didn't come to work today in Berkeley. That's an integrated enterprise. And that's how we count the global numbers. So I think there's been a lot of confusion about that. Um, it doesn't agree when they're mutually agreed upon works, shift swaps, employee initiated voluntary shift modifications, minor um, additions of time at the end or beginning of a shift coming in to get ready to open the cash register or staying after to help a patient, for example. And it really doesn't apply. And I think this helped the Parks Department as well, in disaster and emergency situations, acts of nature, power outages, threats of civil unrest, pandemics, 
none of those situations would require the payment of this pay. So, you know, and I think finally, for me, the important thing is we know that we have the great resignation that the city managers refer to many times. And that's because it's hard to recruit employees now. And it's partly hard to recruit them, according to all the research, because people are, do not want to be in jobs that are insecure. We have a major recruitment problem in the city of Berkeley itself. And we need to do what we can to retain and to recruit and retain good employees. Management in this ordinance retains all of its discretion to determine if the work can be is needed to be done, there's extra work to be done, that it can be feasibly assigned to existing low-wage workers, that part those part-time employees are within the classification where the work is to be assigned, and it doesn't interfere with the employee's current schedule. So I think there are a lot of protections in here. I think talking with the staff really helped me understand their major concern about this, and I think we've fixed that. And um, I just want to thank all of you for your patience, your work, and particularly, again, for holding the committee hearings where so much of this was discussed. Thank you. Thank you so very much. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the meeting, we're going to go now to the city manager's office, and then I'm going to give, I'm going to go um, by order of raised hands, um, five minutes per council member to ask questions. I have no questions, so I will forego my time. Um, so I now want to um, turn the floor over to our acting city manager, Paul Budenhagen. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, sorry, I was having some audio issues. Um, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you, uh, council members. I want to particularly thank Vice Mayor Harrison. Um, for working with us, as she just mentioned on that item, that was it was extremely helpful, and um, I really want to appreciate her collaborative spirit in working through all these complicated issues. It, it is a complicated ordinance, and so taking that that extra time was um, greatly benefited it, the ordinance from our perspective as well. So thank you for that. I'll add a few things um, in particular related to the supplemental. She obviously did an outstanding job <laughs> describing it all, so I won't re-describe everything that she just described, but to add a couple um, of pieces of information is that um, the that clarification that the vice mayor mentioned about um, conferring the these hours in and of themselves, not conferring career status on non-career staff was really a key, a key point um, because it dramatically reduced the potential costs for this as it clarified that the medical benefits would it be medical benefit costs wouldn't go up um, in ways that we thought that they might when we were looking at this earlier. Um, so that want to thank you for that. Um, I want to also sort of highlight and note that it will be important for council to approve um, all of these budget referrals, the um, you know the costs that are getting referred for the implementation of the program, which um, Vice Mayor Harrison included in the supplemental a couple of things to call out one that one that's not in there that i just want to raise um that we did discuss some but we hadn't had the time to do um comps before tonight is that we really believe we'll need a software system to manage all of the um the hours and really track them in ways that allow us to comply with the ordinance as maximally as possible um so uh, i want to thank both Deputy Director Christina Erickson in Parks, Rec, and Waterfront, and Director Ferris for taking the time to reach out to four separate companies and, and get some comps. And what they discovered was that it, for about a $50,000 one-time software installation cost, 
and the $70,000 annual cost, we could procure um, a software system that could be used actually throughout the whole city to manage these hours and track them um, and care track them very carefully. So I, I would like to just put that out there so that you know that and hopefully that could be added to that um, that referral list. And then I wanted to just add a little bit more on the point that the vice mayor raised around the contract with CalPERS. That's an important point. Um, it, it could, you know, obviously have an impact. There are those many classifications that she described, which CalPERS listed as exempt classification from PERS um, moving forward in perpetuity. However, in the intervening years, the names of some of those classes, most of those classifications, all but one actually have changed. The work hasn't necessarily changed, but the names have changed. And so we have some work to do on the staff side with CalPERS to talk with them about the um, changing names of, the cal of those classifications versus the you know, same duties to ensure or do what we can to ensure that those are still, CalPERS still considers that language to apply to the um, to the new classifications of folks who are doing that same work. So I just wanna raise that, that up as like an, um, a non-settled issue that we'll need to move forward and settle with CalPERS uh, as we do this work. Um, and then the final one is that the, um, the predictability pay could also go up. We don't know, you know, a lot of this is sort of trying to figure out what's gonna happen, which we don't really have a crystal ball. It may be that there are a lot of events that require us to uh, a lot of, you know, natural events like fires or smoke or, you know, some sort of natural thing that happens that um, causes us to, to cancel events and therefore have to pay that predictability pay. So the estimates that you have um, could be right, or we think they could go up as high to $250,000, depending on what happens. Um, so I just want to put that on the record. It, it may not happen, it may, but um, those costs could go up and I don't want people to be shocked if they do. It is our hope that they don't. Um, but that was just the last little element that I wanted to add. And again, I wanted to really thank the vice mayor for all of her hard work on this and her, her spirit of partnership here in bringing this to you um, with the supplemental today. That's all my comments, thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Atkinson Manager. I wanna thank the staff. I know that, um, you know, uh, several weeks ago we had made the request for some additional analysis. And I know you've been working hard to, and the city departments analyze the ordinance and its potential applicability to um, city departments. And um, I really appreciate all the work that staff has done and, and also the partnership with Vice Mayor Harrison to sort of talk through the ordinance and really understand its scope and, and develop some workable solutions and, and, to be, and to let us know what resources would be needed to implement this ordinance effectively. So that council has that information and we can um, we can allocate the funding for these the software, these positions so that we can implement this policy. So I really appreciate your your um, engagement and partnership as well. And staff as well. OK, so now I'd like to open it up for initial questions from city council members, and we're going to limit this initial round of questions of five minutes under consistent with the rules. So I'll go first to Councilmember Hans, the first raised hand I see on the Zoom screen. Yes, thank you. And I would also like to thank um, Deputy City Manager Budenhagen for his very collaborative work. Um, 
and uh, obviously other members of the staff who participated in that and council member Harrison as well. And um, I, I think that uh, it's a shame that such a great alarm was raised, but, um, and that was raised uh, as well in committee, but it was pretty obvious to me that this was gonna be a de minimis uh, concern for the city. And I was confident that whatever concerns there might be would be able to be worked out. Um, I assume they would be worked out during the year that we have to implement this. And um, as we go through and, and create um, regulations, that all these things could be ironed out, but I'm glad that um, they were able to be ironed out at this juncture. Uh, there were always only three potential cost issues for the city of Berkeley. One was um, predictability pay for covered employees, but it, it was never gonna cover that many employees. And that was pretty clear to me from the beginning. Um, and, and it is borne out. And I'd like to ask Councilmember Harrison, could you just clarify the exact numbers that you changed in your supplemental? I think that got yeah. buried a little bit. Yes, I had, the supplemental I submitted had $240,000. For, for predictability pay. At around one o'clock this afternoon, uh, Deputy Manager Boonhagen contacted me and said he thought the number was closer to 92. I did not submit that as a change. I think we need to leave them a little room in case it's higher. And I think that's something that the budget committee can discuss. So rather than change that number now, I just left it alone. Um, I think it's somewhere between 92,000 and the 240 they thought originally. Um, I think it depends a lot on how many of the um, exemptions I read out, you know, the extreme civil unrest, it's, you know, pandemic, et cetera, are the reasons for it. So every year is going to be a little different and we need to be flexible, but I think we should wait till the budget committee to get an exact number on that. So I just decided not to change it because it, it seemed like it was better leave it at the higher amounts. So we know what the possible highest amount is. Okay, but the higher amount that you have it here was what staff had told you, right? Correct. We had and, this number back and yeah. forth. I have the documentation. And now they're that. telling you now they're telling you ninety two thousand. That's correct. I just want people to be very clear about this. That the more this is looked at, the lower the number goes. So thank you for clarifying that. I thought you were gonna actually change the number, but um, I do think it's important for people to understand that this number goes down every time it gets looked at. Um, and it just went down again by more than half of the latest number. Um, so, so that was going to be one um, number and I always assumed it was a fairly low number and it is very low. The second was pay for benefits or other costs associated with any additional hours that would be offered to existing part-time employees. And that was never going to be a surprise number because the only way that we would be offering additional hours to an existing employee is either one, we would have already funded an expansion of a program. And so we, are, we would be offering hours that were already funded. We don't offer hours whether to existing employees or to new folks um, if we don't have them already funded. The other circumstance where that might happen is if um, someone who already has a position were to resign and then hours that were already funded 
were being offered to an existing part-time employee. So there was never a scenario where there would be a surprise amount of money that the city had to pay for um, offering additional hours. There are some small benefit costs, but again, that was always going to be relatively small and de minimis. And the third is a cost to administer and enforce, um, both for the city of Berkeley and the community. And I just want to clarify that, um, and I was, thank you for including my office in, in those discussions with staff. Um, what we learned, I think, is that staff already had needs. Staff was already in need of better scheduling software. And there are a number of other stresses that some of our departments have been under for a long time. Uh, so it's not the Fair Work Week ordinance by itself that leads to the, the desire to have these additional positions and this additional software. Um, Fair Work Week is served by those additions, but it is not the sole reason and need for them. And I think it's important for folks to realize that some of these departments um, have been under stress with scheduling and software support um, and enforcement activities that they're expected to do for existing ordinances uh, already understaffed and already stressed. So the referrals here that relate to um, an extra individual in APCS and in parks and waterfront reflect that larger need um, primarily and Fair Work Week only in part. So um, I'm looking forward to finally moving this forward. Um, I think that the concerns were, um, were overblown. Um, and I hope that as businesses start looking at their uh, situation after this is passed, that they will um, come to realize as well that the impacts are not as great as they appear. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to Councilmember Wingraff, and if there are any other council members that like to make any initial questions, please raise your hand so we can recognize you. Uh, thank you very much. I, I want to thank uh, Vice Mayor Harrison um, for looking into all of these things and for working with staff so hard. I also want to thank her for removing the supportive housing clause, which I was very concerned about. Um, and I want to thank uh, Paul Budenhagen and uh, Deputy Manager, Deputy City Manager Paul Budenhagen and, and his team uh, for doing this. Uh, it's unfortunate that we're getting this information, you know, at the third meeting on this, on this ordinance. It would have been great to have it up front, but I'm very grateful to have it now. And the numbers that you're presenting tonight um, offer me relief in terms of my concerns about how it will impact the city. So thank you, um, Vice Mayor Harrison, for all this work. Um, you referenced something called integrated enterprise. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time I'm hearing this phrase uh, in terms of this discussion. Is this term referenced in the ordinance and is it defined? I'm gonna, I'm, yes, and I'm looking for it. If you just give me one second. If I might, Mr. Mayor, would it be appropriate and okay with you if I turn to um, Commissioner Katz, who has uh, a lot of information about this? I can also find okay, it. Myself. If you could just give me a, a page number and yeah, the, looking the clause. I'm going to find it for you. Yes. Unfortunately, ordinances in Berkeley don't have page numbers, but it is 13.102030. 
little c, separate entities that form an integrated enterprise shall be considered a single employer. Within one year of the date of passage of this ordinance, the city manager will promulgate regulations. Councilman, it's the, it's the bottom of page eight and the top of page nine of the ordinance. Okay. Um, so is it um, paragraph? It's, um, it's 102030C. Paragraph C? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, whether a non franchise is covered, um, to, to determine that, you look at whether something separate entities form an integrated enterprise. But is there a definition of what an integrated enterprise is? No. Okay. It, I, I really think it would be good to add a definition to the definition section because um, this is a critical a critical piece of information and how applicability will be determined. Okay. Yes. Um, and I don't know, I'm not familiar with it as a legal term, integrated enterprise, but maybe uh, in business law it is, or in labor law it is. I'm not, I don't know. Councilmember Wengraff, I know that um, Commissioner Katz um, who helped work on the drafting of this at the Labor Commission? I, I had a I had a conversation about this very question before this came to us um, on November third, and he is he is now on the panel side. In case there are questions for Commissioner Katz, and would it be okay to let him just briefly respond yeah, sure. to this? Sure. Uh, thank you for the question, Councilmember Wengraff. I uh, did review this issue in the committee process. It was the committee's view that uh, this would be better handled as a regulation um, to be able to fully address the issues that would be of interest to the regulated community for the most certainty. Uh, the uh, City of Emeryville version does include uh, the, uh, the four main factors that come up in the case law. To, in short, to answer your question, the, the term integrated enterprise is a well understood term in uh, labor law. So the, this question has come up in national employment law and uh, has been settled in terms of the factors that are that, that are uh, within the meaning of what is an integrated enterprise and i can explain the uh, uh the rule of that so the, the the core rule which is still in the ordinance is that separate entities are uh, considered an integrated enterprise um, uh, where a, a separate entity controls the operation of another entity and the, the four main factors that the case law holds when assessing this question is number one, the degree of interrelation between the operation of multiple entities. Number two, the degree to which the entities share common management. Number three, the centralized control of labor relations. And number four, the degree of common ownership or financial control over the entities. So uh, those are the factors that come up when this is uh, uh, analyzed in a, in a case before court. Um, but we, it is best for certainty to be able to promulgate the regulations that uh, could, could adopt what is uh, best understood in the case law and uh, would be able to provide that certainty for, uh, for businesses. Essentially, though, what an integrated enterprise is, is when one business says uh, to uh, one of their own um, uh, sister entities, so a, a parent business may have multiple affiliates, and it's okay uh, and, and would not be regulated under this ordinance to merely own multiple entities. So merely owning multiple businesses in the same holding company 
will not be an integrated enterprise. What makes something an integrated enterprise would be something more like when it's a common practice to look to the employees of sister businesses to come and uh, be backup staffing for the first one. So that, that's what, what, what could create an integrated enterprise, uh, but not the mere ownership. Um, it, it sounds like whoever is going to be running this program is going to have quite a bit of, in, of discretion in terms of interpreting what an integrated enterprise is. Um, is that um, because there are all of these, there, you mentioned four different, four different factors that would contribute to it being considered an, an integrated enterprise. Each one requiring requiring a lot of research, I would imagine. So it's not just who has a controlling interest. That's not a factor, you said. Controlling yeah, interest yeah. is not a factor. Yeah, the, the, co the common ownership uh, and financial control is one of the factors, uh, but it, alone it would not be determined. Are you sure that they have to meet all four of those requirements? No, it's, it is a multi-factor test. So I, I think it, that's, that's a good reason to have the city manager promulgate the specific regulations that would give uh, the, the greatest weight, I believe, for the purposes of this ordinance to the, uh, the, the degree of interrela interrelation uh, of the operations and the centralized control of labor relations. I think that's what's really uh, uh, the, the, the main purpose of this ordinance and uh, would be consistent with the case law. So I, I would think that, it, that given the context of this ordinance, the concern would be that the workers would be protected, that they would be our workers working in one location and then working in another location, and are they receiving the appropriate benefits? Um, because that's that's the intent of the ordinance, is is to give the workers certain rights, right? So. If the workers aren't working at various locations, then why is it relevant? And can I address that for a second? Um, there's two parts to this. One is it's the threshold number that I believe the committee found was reasonable for an organization to be able to manage this kind of scheduling. So that's one reason. And secondly, in the case of some of these businesses, the employees do move from one city to the next, and that would be part of what would be developed in regulations. Right. So again, in the example, if you can, if the boss can say to Joe in Emeryville, you better show up in Berkeley tomorrow, then that, then Joe is part of the number of employees. Exactly. That's what I'm saying, because Joe is the worker and Joe, we want to make sure that Joe is getting the, the, um, the proposed protections. But if workers are not being switched around, if a Hayward location has one set of workers and a Berkeley location has another set of workers, does this, does it come into play? I, I'm, I'm a little confused. Only if they're under central management. And I think that's where this four-part test has to be developed further. It has Mr. to be Katz developed said. further. Yeah, and what we have a year to do the regulations. Okay, so, um, okay, well, that that leads me to something that I think I, I would uh, like 
the city council to consider. Um, in looking at the ordinances from the other cities, I noticed that both San Francisco and Chicago um, don't focus so much on number of employees, but focus on number of locations. And it seems like that is a um, an actually an, uh, a better standard to use because the employment numbers are constantly changing and actually can be played. Um, but the locations are not in flux in the same way that the number of employees are. And so I would like to propose that we add to, hold on one second, that we add to um, 13.102.030, the, the applicability uh, paragraph, uh, that we add to the 100 or more employees globally and, and 10 more and 10 locations. So in Chicago, they have 30 locations as a standard. And in San Francisco, they have 11 or more only for chain retail. Um, so I'm, I'm proposing that this is specific to the restaurant industry. Um, where, you know, successful re restaurateurs do open other restaurants. And in Berkeley, we have some very good examples of that. And um, my dear friend, Haig, who started the original Lalim's, you know, had maybe five or six restaurants in Berkeley at one point. Um, and I don't want to thwart that kind of growth. I think it's really critical that um, that are good. This is what Berkeley's about. What, why do people come to Berkeley, you know? So um, I'd like to add 10 or more establishments, or if you think it's better legally, say 10 or more locations either establishments or locations to um, to that clause. And then I think um, and then I think I'm good with the entire ordinance. But I really feel like uh, we need to have that in there as well. And that's what Chicago did, obviously, for a reason. And that's what San Francisco did. A lot of the other cities that have an arm paying attention to number of employees because that's an influx number. It's changing all the time. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, for my sake, I can't accept that as an amendment. Um, I want to say that um, Emeryville and San Jose did focus on number of employees, and 10 is a very large number. So respectfully, um, from my point of view, no, I wouldn't accept that. But thank okay, you. Okay, well, we have no motions on the floor yet. I'm so. not asking you. Okay, great. This is not a discussion. This is my time to speak. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, and, and and there's no motion on the floor, so Councilor yeah. Wengoff's just stating her, I'm, her okay. position. Exactly. Thank you, Mayor. So um, the the other thing I'm confused about is whether or not uh, the lifelong exemption is included in the supplemental that was submitted. The last we discussed this at the last meeting, there was language in there that exempt exempted lifelong so can somebody address whether or not that exemption is in the supplemental that 
was submitted by Vice Mayor Harrison? The version that's in the packet does not include an exemption for non nonprofit federally qualified health centers. It does not include that. I started with the motion that was on the floor at the time that the meeting ended, and it, that did not include that. Okay. Um, well, I guess uh, I didn't realize that. I guess I would like to see that exemption put back in as expressed by the mayor at the last meeting. I thought that's what we were actually voting on at the last meeting. I mean, it's that was what I had proposed. Uh, well, then I there was a, then, then there was a motion that um, proposed to modify that, and there was some confusion as to what the modification was, which is part of the reason why the well that and people people's desire to speak and not extend the meeting is why the meeting ran out. Um, once again, we're we're not motions are on the floor. This is really initial questions, and we could have a discussion after public comment about. Um, about the substance of the of the ordinance. Okay, I just want to point out before I relinquish my the floor, um, I took a look at the dashboard, the economic dashboard um, from 2021, and um, I, I just want to alert everybody that ground floor commercial vacancies have tripled in the city of Berkeley, and the sales tax that we have collected from food and beverages, food food and beverage. Um, um, sources dropped 38%. Um, this city is in trouble. And I think we need to keep that in mind as we move forward with these, with, with some of these ideas. Um, we want more businesses to come to Berkeley. We want the businesses that we have that are successful to be able to grow. Thank you. Thank you. Um, are there any other questions from city council members at this time? This is just questions um, after public comment, we'll get into a discussion. I don't see any raised hands. So with that, I wanna now turn to the public and thank uh, the 55 attendees for joining us this evening for this special meeting. Um, I'd like to ask if there are any attendees that would like to speak on item one, the Fair Workweek Ordinance. Somebody is not is not needed. Um, once again, um, I'd like to ask if there are any attendees that would like to speak on item one, the Fair Workweek Ordinance. Please raise your hand at this time. Once again, and I'd like to ask for public comment on item one, the Fair Workweek Ordinance. Okay, as I see there, uh, the number of raised hands is uh, at 15 currently and, and probably growing. Um, pursuant to the city council's rules, our 10 or more speakers time allotted per speaker would be one minute, but you can yield your minute to a speaker for a maximum of four minutes. So if you get three other people to yield you their minute, a speaker can have four minutes. So if there are, um, representatives of certain organizations where you would like to have additional time. Um, um, attendees can yield you their minutes so that you can have the, the maximum of four minutes allotted. Um, and so with that, um, I will go now to the first uh, raised hand, Tommy. T 
Tommy, you should now be able to speak. Yes, hello. Thank you yes. for having me uh, speak. I'm I'm a little concerned about the union workers and um, the healthcare should not be exempt. But you know, there's a lot of support for uh, union workers that should be, you know, a lot of their hours are being changed. A lot of their work is being doubled. Um, you know, these big corporations are taking advantage of all the workers that, uh, you know, that have those staff um, due to people don't want to go back to work. But all their, all the labor and everything has been pushed on to the workers that have been there through COVID and, uh, you know, been there working through COVID and stressed out about it. And, you know, we're just trying to find more um coverage for them and better working 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 conditions for them because you know they're overworked thank um, you sir if you can please wrap up your comments we'd appreciate it okay and yeah it's, it's just you know to make to make it better to support for the union workers that are working for these corporations that we can have a better understanding for them to be safe and not overworked at uh, these corporations Thank you very much. We'll go now to Sonia Arabel, followed by Doug Jones. Hello, um, my name is Sonia Carabel, and I'm with Unite Here Local Two, uh, you know, Hotel Workers Union. We represent hotel workers in Berkeley, or, as well as around the Bay Area, and really just wanted to support this ordinance uh, for a fair scheduling. Uh, you know, within our union shops, we're able to uh, create systems for fair scheduling but we believe that all workers deserve a fair process for scheduling. Um, and so we really encourage the Berkeley City Council to pass this as written um, and, uh, and you know, make sure that all workers in Berkeley or you know, as many as possible have access to you know, a fair schedule to be able to plan their lives and uh, you know, be able to schedule appointments and really just be treated as human beings. So thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Doug Jones, followed by Kelly Hammergren. Doug, you should not be able to speak. And I will. Uh, hi, Council. Hi, Mayor. Uh, this is Doug Jones, a political organizer for SEIU United Healthcare Workers, a 25-year employee of uh, Eden Medical Center, uh, one of the Sutter hospitals in the East Bay, and uh, speaking in support of uh, the ordinance uh, as it uh, currently shows on the agenda. Uh, we appreciate the work that uh, uh, Vice Mayor Harrison uh, did uh, to provide uh, friendly amendments uh, on the uh, uh, ordinance uh, language regarding lifelong. Uh, I, I shared an email uh, with the entire city council earlier today, uh, sharing details about the clinic workforce stabilization resent, uh, retention payments, which lifelong joined us in lobbying for in Sacramento uh, this year. Uh, one of the many large clinic systems that lobbied to gain uh, the ability for the state to fund bonus payments so they could retain staff. So it was disappointing to hear in uh, the last meeting that uh, you know they felt you know they represented themselves as having a fixed revenue stream when in reality we helped them get some this year. So thank you for listening to us and please vote yes on uh, the ordinance. Thank you. We'll go next to Kelly Hammergren, followed by Linda Curie. 
Uh, <clears throat> as a district four resident, I wish to thank my council member. Thank you so much. This sounds wonderful. And I hope that it goes forward as is with um, lifelong in and no other changes. Um, I appreciate that council member Wengraff has concerns. However, it is the lowest paid workers who have the greatest difficulty adjusting to scheduling changes and the least ability to cover the cost incurred by short notice changes. Um, it is businesses who need employees to hire. And if we are really concerned about the businesses, then let's make Berkeley a terrific environment for employees, especially our low paid employees, because that is what would make us a proud city. And I ask for a unanimous vote of approval tonight. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to Linda Curie, followed by Susan Battersby. Good evening, uh, City Council. Um, thank you all for all your work, especially Kate Harrison on this ordinance. Um, as Kate already mentioned, um, I did send a letter in support of this ordinance because of the personal experiences that my two children in their 20s have um, have had in the job force in the last few years. And um, it's really bad for any kind of mental or physical health. Um, as she mentioned, my son did sustain an injury from being asked to work overtime again and again and being extra tired. Um, it's, it's just exploitive. And actually, these changes would really help the employers retain the employees that they need. It would ease staffing issues that have been a problem even in the city of Berkeley. So um, I'm just in full support of this, and I hope that all of you, including my own council member um, in District 1, will support this in this ordinance. Thank you very much. Thank you. Susan Battersby, followed by Ariana Casanova. Okay, I'm a longtime employee of the Over 60 Healthcare Center, and um, while I have not been affected in any way by change in hours, I know I have co-workers who have. Um, I am in just encouraging you to, to make sure that lifelong is included in this ordinance, and I just encourage you, please, to vote unanimously for this this evening. Thank you. We'll go next to Ariana Casanova, followed by Beth Rossner. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Ariana Casanova, SCIU 10 to 1. Sorry, my voice is a little off. Um, I'm calling in support of the ordinance as is. Um, we want to thank everyone for all their work, Vice Mayor Harrison and the coalition. Um, we wanted to make sure that folks understand that this is to help workers and create a balance in the workplace and in our community in the city of Berkeley. Businesses will actually also benefit, as was pointed out by a previous speaker, on retaining staff. I, I worked in Parks and Rec, um, and I, you know, I'm excited that we're making steps to make people whole and looking at ways to improve our programs and our city. I also wanted to just share a little bit I think this is also critically important for people like my father who had three jobs and having to figure out how to take us to school, pick us up, 
work his day job, his evening job and his weekend. And so please uh, support this and have a good evening. Thank you so much. We'll go next to Beth Rossner, followed by Jeff Sinceri. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, and good evening, Council. I'm Beth Rossner from the Berkeley Chamber of Commerce. I do want to thank you. We appreciate all the work that you've done on this and the changes that you have made. We appreciate you hearing our business owners' concerns. Um, we do still have a few concerns, um, mainly the record-keeping requirement, um, particularly in the service industry where shift changes are commonly done via text or phone calls. We have some concerns about that. Um, we're concerned about outreach and education to the business community. How will you identify and notify businesses subject to the ordinance? Um, as was pointed out, employee counts can vary. Uh, we hope that you'll work hard to ensure equitable and fair education and enforcement. And we do support Councilmember Wengraf's recommendation to add a number of locations to the restaurant applicability um, in line with some other ordinances. And uh, we just want to thank you for your work, and we hope that you'll consider these concerns that we have. Thanks. Thank you. We'll go next to Jeff Senseri, followed by Ken Chin. Um, thank you very much for having me this evening. I just wanted to um, call in and say um, that I so much, and thank you for all your work, and I hope that it passes unanimously this evening. Um, I hope that, like, you know, we all kind of, that we can hurry. As someone who has about a decade of experience working in hotels, I know scheduling is, um, is really, really difficult to come by um, in, my, in, my, in my former line of work. Um, so the faster we get this done, the better. Right now, there's, there's schedules being made where, like, someone's not be, being able to go to a wedding or can't go to somebody's surgery. Um, there's all these different types of things that, like, you know, fact of scheduling ends up being used as a, as a little bit of a weapon against our workers. So um, I'm, I'm really glad this is on the um, on the schedule tonight, and I hope that it passes unanimously. All right, thank you. Thank you. Ken Chin, followed by Cecilia Lunapara. Okay, I'm yielding my time to Andrea Malarkey. Okay, thank you. Uh, okay, we'll go to Cecilia Lunapara. Hi, good evening, Mayor Aragin, Vice Mayor Harrison, and all council members. I am Cecilia Lunaparra, a District 7 resident and the president of Cal Berkeley Democrats. On behalf of the club and in staunch solidarity with student workers at large, I urge you to finally pass the Fair Work Week ordinance as written tonight. While it should be clear how students, especially low-income student workers, are disproportionately affected by exploitative working conditions, I want to share my roommate's story, who is unable to make it tonight. She worked part-time uh, as a full-time student, struggling to balance her education and ability to pay rent, as so many students do. Her employers repeatedly changed her hours last minute, changing and often limiting the pay she received. She would get hours cut when the store was not busy, making it difficult to budget or organize her time efficiently. She quit a couple weeks ago due to repeated exploitative practices and difficulty balancing multi multiple pressing responsibilities. This story is only one of, uh, of the insurmountable number of student experiences. In support with student workers, as well as working families, low-income residents, and workers at large, please pass this item tonight, tonight with the least number of exceptions. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Sam Kessel, followed by Nathan Mizell. Uh, good evening, Council. Uh, my name is Sam Kessel, and I'm a District 5 resident uh, and employed as a social worker uh, with Lifelong Medical. 
Uh, I join others here at this meeting who support the Fair Work Week ordinance uh, as it appears on the posted agenda of tonight's meeting and oppose any amendments which would exempt uh, specific employers. Uh, this ordinance as constructed offers protections that will benefit some of the most vulnerable healthcare workers in our city, my coworkers, uh, many of whom do not have uh, the benefit of union uh, representation. Um, thank you all for your consideration. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Nathan Mizell, followed by Andrea Malarkey, and um, additional time was um, yielded to Andrea. Nathan Mizell, you should now be able to speak. Thank you. Can you hear me, Mr. Mayor? Yes, I can. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor and Council. Um, thank you for all your work moving this forward to this point. Uh, obviously, special thank you to Vice Mayor Harrison for all her work. Um, you know, really over all these several years here. Um, obviously, I'm speaking in favor of you passing it tonight with the fewest exemptions as possible. This legislation is critical to, you know, numerous workers in our city, frankly critical to many folks who've been friends of mine and navigated jobs which simply haven't respected, you know, the realities of life. And I think this legislation, you know, begins to put us on the path to you know, really show workers that this is a city that understands that real life happens um, and that no matter how dedicated you are to a job, you have to be able to live and operate with everything else as well. So thank you for pushing this forward. Hope it passes tonight. And yeah, I, I think this is an important step. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, we'll go next to Andrea Malarkey. Um, Andrea, are there other people that are yielding time? Yes, I believe James Chang is seating me a minute as well. Okay, cool. So yes, good evening. I am Andrea Malarkey. I'm an SCAU 10 to 1 member leader and I work in the library, Berkeley Public Library. And I'm here to encourage you to pass the Fair Work Week ordinance as so many others are. And uh, we strongly oppose any changes to the ordinance and sub uh, two packet, including the thresholds for covered workers, the definition of sectors, the suggestion that it should be about uh, locations instead of workers. This is about workers, not uh, business buildings, and it should be based on workers. And we don't want to remove predictability pay for additions to schedules. For anybody who hasn't been following along, I wanna explain what's been happening here. The ordinance has been in the works for literally years. The city's had opportunities at the commission level, the policy committee level, and here at city council to do a fiscal analysis. And months ago, as council member Han noted, um, the city manager team claimed that the cost of ordinance would be $12 million. Uh, that was a specious number and held up the ordinance for months, further delaying justice by dragging out the effective date of the ordinance. Um, now we know that the actual cost is closer to $90,000 per year, and that is notably approximately the amount of additional pay the council recently provided to the city manager, one person, single person, as a result of a pay equity study. So let's think about this. $90,000 is what we're talking about for schedule and predictability to recreation workers. Compare that with the millions of dollars you pay each year for schedule and predictability in police overtime. So I just want to say, when there's schedule unpredictability in the recreation department, city management team has been wringing their hands and threatening to cut programs for months, delaying implementation for years, but no trouble finding millions for police. And I just have to ask, who are we as a society that this is where we're at? Who are we as a city? And you can view this as a math problem, but it's also an existential and a moral one. And it's not hard for me 
maybe because I work in the library and I represent workers who run our day camps and serve our unhoused neighbors and prepare meals for our elders. I stand with those workers and that work. I mean, talk about public safety. And uh, I know which side I'm on in this moral equation. I turn it back to y'all to see which side you are on as a city council in the moral equation. You can solve the MASH problem tonight. You can solve it in the budgeting process. Either way, you take up the moral question tonight of what you stand for. And you know you can find money for raises for city managers. You can find it for the police overtime budget. Numbers much, much larger than what we're talking about tonight. You do it without threatening to cut programs for our children and our elders. It's shameful that we've had to go through this arduous process to get to the plain truth that the cost is minimal to provide the most basic rights to city workers. It's shameful that it's taken four years to get here. It's a shame. We should be ashamed of ourselves. But here we finally are. The community's watching. We expect you to live up to your values. We look forward to you investing in services to the community through workers who deliver them. We expect that for our siblings at Lifelong Medical. We expect it for all workers in Berkeley. They deserve these basics, protections, and dignity. I join with 10 labor organizations, a dozen community organizations. I'm a representative of SEIU 10 to 1. We represent the workers that will benefit from this. Homeless outreach workers, public health nurses, aging services, minibus drivers, and of course, those who deliver the services in recreation programs after school and during the summer camps to protect our children. This is who we are. It's time that we stand together to support these workers and the services they deliver. We are a city with a robust budget, with strong financial outlook. We are in trouble if we can't support workers. It's not the businesses we need to be looking forward to. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Tom Parrish, followed by Soli Alpert. Hi, uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Mayor and City Council. Uh, my name is Tom Parrish. I'm the new managing director at Berkeley Repertory Theater and also a resident of District 5. And I understand that many years of work have gone into this proposed ordinance and the potential benefits it can yield to impacted employees. And I acknowledge too that I'm new to the community and the ordinance as, but as the ordinance as proposed raises several issues and questions for me. Um, due to COVID recovery, I would position that now is not the time for new regulations that impact small businesses and nonprofits. The proposed ordinance impacts several complementary sectors to the arts sector, including restaurants, hotels, and retail, along with sectors in our supply chain. And so the impact of this legislation could uh, exacerbate inflation and contribute to an already challenging business climate with great uncertainty, cost pressure, and labor shortage. And just hearing from acting city manager tonight about the added cost of scheduling software, I think about that multiplied across a number of small businesses across the city. Um, so if deferring this ordinance is not feasible tonight, I would ask the council to consider clearly exempting all nonprofits um, and then consider raising the employee threshold to 250 employees so that smaller businesses are not harmed uh, as they're trying to recover from the pandemic. Thank you. Thank you. I believe I'm going to go out of order and say, I think that Berkeley Rep, because it is a cultural venue, is exempt from this ordinance. I just want to clarify that. We'll go next to Soli Alpert, followed by Jonah Gottlieb. Oh, uh, good evening, Mayor and members of the City Council. Oh, sorry. Can can you hear me? Yeah, we can. I'm, I'm getting a little bit of an echo on my end. Apologies. Um, there we go. Um, 
Uh, good evening, Mayor and members of the City Council. I wanted to emphasize that I think oftentimes when we encounter issues like this where there are two sides, you know, workers and employers, it's tempting to think of these things as being a 50-50 proposition, but that is really not the case with what we're dealing with. Employers are far better positioned to deal with the consequences of scheduling changes than employees are. This is simply the reality. The employer is the one who's coordinating all of their schedules. And notably, if you are a working family, a working, you know, working parent juggling childcare and rent payment, the consequences to you of not having a shift, if having a shift canceled at the last minute, could be you miss rent, which means you're evicted. The consequence to a business, if this law is passed, will be up to four hours of pay for workers who are definitionally being paid at low wages. You're talking about $25 to maybe $100. So the impact on employers will be far more easy to bear. I also really want you to not exempt politically favored restaurants. Workers are workers wherever they are working. Just because they're working at a restaurant we like to go to doesn't mean that they are being more fairly treated. It also doesn't mean that they aren't facing the same consequences and the same precarity you, that so many in our community are. Thank you very much. Jonah Gottlieb, followed by Paola Laverde. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, I just want to, first of all, thank you for scheduling this special meeting and thank uh, Vice Mayor Harrison for her steadfast support of workers in this city. Uh, I support this measure um, to be passed as currently written. Um, and I believe that this would be a massive, massive uh, deal for workers in this city. I want to specifically talk about uh, students, as I am one myself, who often have to uh, juggle multiple jobs to afford tuition at UC Berkeley, um, and specifically how unscheduled and last minute shifts and schedule changes can cause a huge burden in terms of their ability to keep multiple jobs and go to class at the same time, which is often needed. Um, in fact, I have uh, friends who wanted to be at this meeting tonight, but had to uh, go in for a last minute shift at their job in the restaurant industry. So I think that this measure should be passed as written. Thank you very much. Thank you. Go next to Paola Verde, followed by Kit Saginor. Yes, good evening, Mr. Mayor and City Council and Vice Mayor Harrison. Uh, I am Paola Laverde. I'm also an SEIU Local 1000 member, and I do support this uh, legislation. Um, you know, the fair work uh, uh, legislation is so important for low-wage workers uh, and students. Uh, you know, in California, we know that uh, low-wage workers are the ones most impacted with wage theft. We know that in restaurants, wage theft is a big problem. People don't get paid their overtime. People don't get their rest and meal breaks. People don't get paid their uh, split shift premiums. Um, and it happens a lot in the restaurant industry. It is up to the employer to properly schedule their business and it is not the fault of the of the worker if the employer can't do that but workers uh, have protections the state of california provides many protections for workers and the city of berkeley has an opportunity to pr provide a really good protection for workers um, and just a comment regarding the empty businesses in, in the city of Berkeley. I think the city council should be looking at the, the owners of these buildings that are allowed these empty units, uh, rental units um, for businesses. Why are they empty? Um, because what is the city council doing to attract more business in Berkeley? Thank you. Thank you. Kit Saginor, followed by Moni Law. Thank you very much for taking my call. I really hope you will pass this tonight as written. I believe I heard uh, Vice Mayor Harrison give a figure 
of the average impact that this would have on the earnings of a part-time worker for the city as $124 a year or something like that. So it, it, this is not going to put huge quantities of money in anybody's pocket. And I think that's per and very important to realize that this is going to help people for whom $124 is a significant sum, right? For someone to uh, come in to work and then be told, sent home with nothing, it, you, you, I know that you do understand that scheduling issues have an impact on workers. You understand that when you approve the overtime costs for our police. And those are a lot more expensive than the kinds of costs that are going to happen here. Please do not add any more exceptions. This is so important for allowing people to manage their their um, their lives uh, and when they are low income. Thank you. Thank you. Moni Law, followed by the caller with the number ending 235. Ms. Lott, um, would you like to speak? Okay, we'll go next to the call with the number ending 235. Uh, call with the number ending 235, you should be able to speak. Please press star six to unmute. Thank you, Mr. Mayor and council members. Um, my name is Matt Sutton with the California Restaurant Association. There's no question that we all support stabilizing schedules. We've been commenting on this item for quite a long time, including back at the Labor Commission. Uh, we think restaurants are a unique beast. We do our absolute best to provide predictable schedules and manageable schedules for our staff. In so many cases, staff have been with restaurants for a long time and are like family. So there's a lot that goes on in helping manage um, staff schedules. I, I know over the last few months, there's been a heavy emphasis on the notion that this is simply a human resources or software puzzle. And I just want to point out that even very small restaurants are highly labor intensive and don't have HR functions like some of the larger players. So it, it is not as simple as a human resources or software puzzle. Uh, we cannot predict foot traffic to the extent that others can. And it's not a complaint, but it is a fact that restaurants were impacted more than any business model by the COVID shutdowns. Those did occur. Those did limit our ability to function as viable businesses by limiting capacity and a number of other things. Restaurants need some time to get back on their feet and to move forward. Uh, there's also been a lot of suggestion that this is a commonplace policy in other cities, which is not the case at all. San Jose has an element of this proposal, and that's what I'd call the first right of refusal for additional hours. But they do not have the strict scheduling mandate that you're proposing here for restaurants. And the list goes on. Los Angeles, I know, isn't a great example, but they did exclude restaurant employees from their recent um, enactment of something similar and other cities have done the same just because of the unique nature of restaurants the other and thing i would sir, point out I just want to ask if you can wrap up your comments you are over time no problem could you please thank wrap up Mayor, the last no problem mr mayor thank you the last thing i would point out is just that i i know with your threshold um 
to, of which restaurants to include or not, you're intending not to include local homegrown restaurants. And I just want to point out because of our labor intensive nature, we could have a small restaurant in Berkeley and have an independent operator open one, two or three more in the area and then be captured by this. And then finally, um, picking on a restaurant just because they chose a certain business model, the franchise model, is also something that we don't think is good policy. Thank you for your consideration. Okay, John Keener is my last raised hand. So I'd like to ask, are there any other attendees that would like to speak on item one, the Fair Work Week ordinance? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Okay, we'll go next to John Keener. Um, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Strongly urge we go with the Emeryville model rather than a Chicago model. We are hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging businesses in the downtown. As Susan um, identified, we're losing people. Our pedestrian counts are still down by a third. We're dealing with encampment, um, encampments and employee safety issues. And, um, and we're dealing with intense regulation. Um, I and we just lost Missing Link. They're closing. I the other day I was talking to a possible new tenant, a chainlet with um, uh, several other locations in the Bay Area. I was terrified to tell them about this ordinance. Why would they come to Berkeley if they were going to subject themselves to this? Have to buy a fifty thousand dollars software package. Please, please implement the ten location recommendation as soon. And we'll save, or at least a chance at saving Fieldwork and Sliver, which both have eight locations, and also Lifelong Medical. My God, what an instrumental part of our, um, our, our community. If you're doing Berkeley Food and Housing Project, include Lifelong Medical. But please start modest. Let's learn. Let's grow with this to be the most aggressive, ambitious Fair Work Week program in the country, modeled on Chicago, Illinois, with much, much lower thresholds is way too far. We're really struggling. We, the business community is, is in free fall. I mean, we're in free fall, the retail business. Look around the downtown. Look at the vacancy rates. Anyway, thank you for your time. Okay, I see we have two additional speakers with their hands raised. So I'd like to ask once again, are there any additional public comments? If so, please raise your hand if you're on Zoom or press star nine if you're phoning into our meeting. Last call for public comment. I see three additional raised hands. I assume those are the last three speakers. If not, please raise your hand. Okay, we'll go next to Becky Rhodes, followed by our former colleague, Cheryl Dabler. Um, Hi there, Mayor, Council Members. Becky Rhodes, Political Director with the Alameda Labor Council. We have 135 affiliate unions uh, representing uh, over 100,000 working families, including many low-wage workers in the city of Berkeley. We urge you to pass this tonight as written, unanimously. And I do wanna point out, I just can't help but notice that uh, the gentleman from the Restaurant Association spoke to, you know, fan, uh, restaurant workers being family, but you know, it rarely is for that low wage worker that has to make ends meet and figure out a way to um, get their kids to the doctor, get themselves to the doctor, go to their family wedding. So again, we ask that you please pass it tonight. Thank you. Thank you. 
Okay, we'll go next to former Councilor Dabla, followed by Shante Jones. And those are the last two raised hands I see. Um, thank you and um, happy holidays. Yeah, it would be great to listen to the workers. I know none of you are probably ever in these positions of having to worry about these sorts of things, but it's not about you, it's about the workers. And you really need to, it's not about the Downtown Business Association or the restaurant owners, it's about making fair practices to employees. You know, it's like, try to think about the worker. The worker needs to be secure in their position and be able to function in ways that you take, probably do, and don't even think twice about it because you have that privilege. So think about the worker and pass this the way that the workers want, not anyone else. Thank you. Okay, our last speaker, unless there's another speaker, and if so, please raise your hand, is Shante Jones. Yes, hi, this is Shanti K. Jones from Lifelong Medical, and I would like for you to pass this bill. Please think of the workers, not, you know, the employer, because we as the workers, we're the one who, who builds this city. Everything is built on our own backs, and just please pass this. I am a 10-year lifelong employee, and I'm just finding out that my company is actually wanted to exempt from this, and, you know, we are the community, so, and some of us that are workers go to the doctors and you know we speak to everyone so please pass this order and not have lifelong medical be exempt from this um this bill thank you thank you okay um i do not see any additional raised hands from attendees that would like to speak on the fair work week ordinance so i'd like to ask is there any additional public comment Seeing no additional raised hands, I'll close public comment. I wanna bring it back to the city council for discussion. I'd like to kick off the discussion and um, say, um, uh, first and foremost, I wanna thank everyone who attended tonight's meeting and for your very thoughtful comments. I think many of the, uh, the workers in particular who attended really explained the need for this ordinance. Um, and I, I wanna go back to what I said at the November 3rd meeting which is that um, there's no question that the city council cares deeply about our small businesses. And I think a lot of thought has gone into this ordinance, to, particularly around the applicability section to, um, to not include many of the small businesses in Berkeley who would not be able to implement this policy without creating significant added costs. Um, and I just also wanna remind the council and the public that over the past two and a half years, while we've gone through this pandemic, the city of Berkeley has done a great deal to support our business community. The, the, the day the shelter in place order took effect in 2020, we passed an eviction moratorium that also applies to commercial businesses. And we launched the Berkeley Relief Fund raising $5 million in emergency assistance to keep the lights on and to keep people employed while they were waiting for PPP loans and other assistance from state and federal sources. We have also, um, we launched the outdoor commerce program to provide safe space for businesses to operate during the pandemic. Uh, we have passed additional regulations to provide protections 
uh, for small businesses. Um, and we have uh, provided an additional million dollars in the last city budget to create a grant program so that small businesses that have difficulty paying their rent on a needs, needs based basis can get additional assistance to pay their back rent. Because we know there are you know, businesses, I just want to mention one in particular, Amy Murray at Revival, who is facing extreme difficulty because her property owner is not willing to negotiate in good faith with, with Ms. Murray to come up with a rent repayment plan. And she has hundreds of thousands of dollars of back rent. Now imagine how detrimental that would be to the downtown and to the Addison Arts District if Revival were to close and that would be empty. So we have to talk about the impacts on small businesses. They're not really, really about regulations. It's about the costs of commercial rent. And many of these property owners did not provide rent breaks or rent assistance to our small businesses during the pandemic. And, and we are going to see an eviction cliff when the state of emergency ends, which is why we need to do everything we can to support our small businesses to get through these next few weeks and months um, when the state of emergency expires. And that includes the commercial property owners who need to do their part to work with small businesses on rent repayment plans and rent relief, and also look at lowering rents so that we don't have ground, ground floor vacancies. Talk about ground floor vacancies. Part of the reason why we have ground floor vacancies is the square foot rents are so high that people can't rent those spaces in Berkeley. So if we, if we want to create economic growth and vitality, we need to also work with our small businesses to provide them the support that they can stay in business as well. And I wanna thank the city council and this community for everything we've done to provide, to pass those regulations and to provide that economic assistance so our small businesses can stay on. And we can, we can have our, a vibrant commercial district in the downtown throughout the city of Berkeley. But this ordinance is about fairness for workers. Just like we have done a great deal to support our small businesses, we have to support our essential workers. And we know during this pandemic that our essential workers were critical to keeping our economy running, driving our buses, working in our grocery stores, working in our restaurants, supporting seniors and our unhoused community. This is about how we support our essential workers. This is about how we ensure fairness for employees, just like we are ensuring fairness and support for our small businesses. And it is absolutely clear that there are situations where people have to work multiple jobs and not being able to go to work and not getting not getting that income may may mean the difference between paying your rent or being able to afford food, being able to help support your family. And so for our, for our essential workers who are working multiple jobs and who also are taking care of their children or are going to school or taking care of family members, this is about providing the, the fairness and flexibility for them to be able to not just do their work to help support our economy, but also to have the flexibility in their lives as well. And if they're not able to work, to have to be paid, be compensated for that impact that that creates on them so that they can survive in this economy. So I see this as really critical to supporting our essential workers, to supporting the growth of our economic sector here in Berkeley, and to build on the work we've done over the past several years from our minimum wage policy. I just want to say, many people said when we passed the minimum wage that all these businesses would shut down and the sky is going to fall and you know that obviously did not happen and the minimum wage is not even high enough to be able to support the rising cost of living in berkeley in the bay area but it is something um we we passed many regulations from uh hero pay for grocery workers to our minimum wage 
to regulations for our construction industry. We are a city that, that, believes, it, that, that believes it's critical that we have fair labor standards. And I see this as building on our history of progressive pro-labor legislation. So I'm very proud to vote for this today. This would be the most progressive scheduling policy in the state of California. And I hope that other communities will follow and look to Berkeley standard as a new standard for fairness for workers in the state of California. So with that, I'd like to make a motion that we adopt the ordinance and the referrals that were contained in council member um, Harrison's supplemental. And give me a second to pull it up, just share screen. Um, this was in SUP 2, that we adopt the revised version of the ordinance in supplemental packet 2, um, that we also refer $50,000 to the AAO 1 process for outreach and technical assistance, that we refer to the FY24 budget process, $240,000 for citywide predictability pay, um, uh, that we also refer to the AAO 1 process, uh, the funding for the labor standards enforcement, which we need not just for Fair Work Week, but for the wage theft policy, the hard hats ordinance, the minimal minimum wage policy, all those labor policies that we've adopted in recent years, we need to have a person to implement them. So this is long overdue and we need to refer that to the budget process and $150,000 for the um, FY2024 um, uh, uh, for the parks accounting office specialist to implement scheduling systems. So. I'd like to make that motion. Second. Second. Okay. I'm going to give that to Vice Mayor Harrison, if that's okay, as she's the author of the, I heard, I heard two people at the same time, and I'm going to give it to Vice Mayor Harrison. Okay. So now we have a motion on the floor for purposes of discussion. I will go now to Council Member Bartlett. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. And, um, you know, I was trying to hit the hit the microphone to second the uh, motion uh, that did not work. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, again, I just want to say, and this is probably, you know, having sat through the evolution of this item uh, on the subcommittee uh, chaired by Councilman Rahan, um, it's been it's been a really interesting uh, journey to watch the evolution of this measure. And I do believe, as I've said before, uh, that this is a necessary uh, essentially cost of doing business. And if we want to get into empty storefronts downtown, uh, I'm open to having the conversation with the landlords of those commercial buildings and how can we incentivize them to, to, to forego the tax benefit of having a loss in their building with getting some tenants in there uh, and, and making the rent more affordable for our commercial businesses. And that being said, the, the cost of the city's compliance, this, the software deal, as reported to us by the WCD manager, acting manager, uh, the cost amount of the software, uh, that is some kind of government cost, and that is not the cost that will be borne by a small business. I want to say that right up front. Um, and thirdly, again, uh, we are in a time where uh, inflation and, and, and overall cost of living and, and shortage of, of everything affordable for people and working families and single moms is at the point now where we've got to take assertive measures to level the playing field. And just as you mentioned, the, 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 the minimum wage increase, uh, I mean, the same arguments were put forward a few years ago and you know we, we withstood that change and the sky did not fall. And here again, the sky will not fall, but it's protecting a few people. And it's our duty as good people to protect our residents from being cost out of the city 
and being driven into bankruptcy and poor and poverty uh, by the low wage job. So it's just an imperative duty on a moral and economic sense. And again, in a fifth point, I want to point out is our small businesses downtown and everywhere else can, can make use of the thousands of new students coming into Berkeley. We have a building boom right now with apartments going up in every district near the, near the campus, including my own, where there'll be thousands of people, thousands of customers moving in and living. So we can capture them and your business will not suffer any more than it takes to pay for the software to make sure your workers are not screwed over. Thank you. Thank you. Just, I forgot to mention a couple of other points. One, the reason Missing Link is closing is because the owner of the property is doing a development project and is, is not gonna continue the lease. It's not because of a fair work week ordinance. And secondly, I really want to encourage staff to work with our business sector as we're developing, implementing regulations. Cause I think that's gonna be extremely important. And I would also encourage our business community to reach out to their counterparts in Emeryville who've been working, who've been implementing the, their policy for a number of years. I think there might be best practices that, that we could all learn from as, uh, you know, as the city of Berkeley is implementing this policy. I know there's been a lot of consultation on the part of Councilmember Harrison and our staff with Emeryville as well. Um, okay, we'll go next to Councilmember Han. Thank you very much. I really appreciate, Mayor, your highlighting the the great amount of of help that we have been providing to our small businesses and all businesses in Berkeley, even when they're not small. Um, I, I think I, the idea that somehow this council is not friendly to and supportive of the needs of businesses in Berkeley, it, it, it's sad for me to hear that said or implied. I was actually going to list some of the same things, Mayor, that you pointed out, but I was going further back. Um, I was going down memory lane, and I was looking at one of the very first items that I introduced with you, Mayor, April 25, 2017. One of the very first items we did after being your being elected mayor, my being elected to the council, small business support package, extensive list of changes, including looking at our zoning ordinance and, and getting rid of a number of elements in our approvals process that were continually tripping up businesses that were trying to permit new uses. Um, we uh, established a whole program to support transitions to cooperative ownership models. Um, you know, fast forward to uh, the, the, the way that we dump immediately to save Berkeley's businesses as soon as a pandemic uh, shelter-in-place regulations hit and everything shut down. A lot of people do not realize our Office of Economic Development is quite small. I believe, and staff can correct me on this, that at one time we had assigned, I think, 30 people, 30 additional workers through our Emergency Operations Center to support the Office of Economic Development, answering questions, working with beleaguered businesses, taking action to support them on so many fronts. I will not repeat everything the mayor already said, but we really do care about small businesses in Berkeley. I want to say that when we support workers, I see us as supporting business. 
Because when workers are well treated and they have predictability and they can survive and they can still live somewhere in this region and pay rent and put food on the table and take care of their children, then they are better able to make themselves ready for work and to perform and not move from job to job. So I don't believe it's you either support businesses or you support workers. I believe that when you support workers, you are supporting businesses and organizations. And I'd like to say that unfairness has a cost, but it's usually a cost that is hidden, not recognized and not named, because it's borne by people whose stories are not told and who, whose voices are not heard in our society. Fairness, at the same time, is not a cost. It's a duty. And it's our moral obligation and asking our business communities and organizations to participate in implementing fairness and asking the city of Berkeley to do the same, I do not believe is a burden. It's a duty. And as Councilmember Bartlett says, it's a moral obligation. Uh, and I think all of us need to have a can-do attitude towards this. City staff will develop regulations over the next year. Organizations have a year to figure this out. As the mayor mentioned, they can go and talk to their counterparts in Emeryville. This is not something that has never been done before. We can do it here too. I, I think staff will do what they always do. They will consult with the business community and organizations, as well as with labor and developing the regs so that some of these small details that, that people are so concerned about will in fact be clarified. And this can go forward. This is a plus not just for workers, this is a plus for organizations and businesses in Berkeley. And I am looking forward to voting yes a second time to move this forward. Thank you. Okay, um, uh, Vice Mayor Harrison. Uh, yeah, um, I wanna again thank the staff for all this work that's been going on. And in that regard, I'm gonna have to share my screen again. The city attorney has asked that we make a small amendment to this language. Um, oh, those are my talking points. You don't need those. I'm sorry, <laughs> let me stop that. <laughs> I'm trying to get these up here, hold on. Um, we had language about that this would not confer any, um, here we go, there we go. Um, any any career status on non-career employees. And I just wanna say, this is gonna sound very nerdy, but there's two ways of looking at what does career status mean. In the HR world, sometimes it's career versus at will, and sometimes it's benefited versus non-benefited. So in an excess of caution, I, we want to add, additionally for the city of Berkeley, the offering of these additional hours are not in themselves, and we're gonna still say confer career status on any non-career employee or confer benefits on any non-benefited employee. That way, we are covering all the various plain English meanings of career. Um, and I think that's very important, and I appreciate the city attorney making this point. Can I make that as a friendly amendment? Could you just re read it again, what it would say? Yes, it would now say, additionally, for the city of Berkeley, the offering of these additional hours shall not in themselves confer career status on a non-career employee or confer benefits on any non benefit employee unless required by state or federal law. 
that's in case okay. federal or state law changes and they say you have to give everybody benefits or something okay okay i'm typing as we speak and i'm really sorry for this as, as the maker i accept that you're the seconder so yeah. i assume you sec you accept yeah i do and i really appreciate that i'd like to second that um and then i wanted to just um mention a couple of other things one is the um the issue of record keeping has come up a number of times i should say that all five cities well the four and then us that will have this have a requirement to maintain records i don't consider that overly burdensome um i also want to say we do recognize the special nature of restaurants i think councilmember Hahn was particularly good about this at her committee by increasing that number to 100, it had come to her with 56 global employees, and I believe no minimum in Berkeley. Um, and she rectified that because we do see it as a, as a special business type for us, but I think 100 is completely reasonable. And I really trust our staff to do a great job on outreach. I know that they have the capacity to do this, and they're committed to doing it, and especially with the addition of a position in HHCS, they're going to do just a terrific job. So thank you for that. Okay, we'll go next to Councillor Kesawani. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor, and thank you, Vice Mayor Harrison, for the amendments. And uh, Mr. Budenhagen, thank you for um, for your support in in helping us um, control costs for the city of Berkeley, because that was one of my concerns last time. It seemed like it was an unknown and. I understand there was disappointment in not being able to take action the other night, but I, I actually feel that um, these amendments are very important and needed, and I'm glad we are able to do this now. Uh, but actually, Councilmember Harrison, can you bring that uh, back up, what you just had? Because I had a question about what you would had just uh, added about not conferring career status. So are you trying to cover i mean benefits is clear to me health benefits uh and and non-health benefits but are you trying i guess i just want to be clear when you say it doesn't confer career status is this about pension benefits or no or what is that really about the career status you are muted i don't know if you're trying to speak Please forgive me, I'm sorry. People um, can enter into non-career positions without testing or other application to the city that's more formalized as it is for normal career employees. And the staff had asked that we make it clear that this doesn't suddenly make them career employees that compete with other career employees. It's the same as the sentence on seniority above. I'd like oh, to ask okay. um, okay. the deputy city manager wants to weigh in, but that if that helped, I hope that was clear. And it, it's not necessary. It's true that this would not do that. They just want to be absolutely transparently clear that just doing this doesn't change anything about your status, seniority, your career status, your benefit status. They okay. just wanted us to be really rock solid clear. Okay. All right. So Okay, so that makes sense. But on this issue of does not confer benefits on any non-benefited employee unless required by state or federal law, uh, so I'm just, I'm just processing this because, right. um, because if, if the person does have the hours consistently that confers benefits, 
this language doesn't pr prevent that from happening, right? So, so I guess I'm, I, I wanted to just be clear about what have we changed to, to deal with the issue of the, of the, the PRW workers right. and those concerns that had been raised, you know, last yes. time about, you know, people get, getting into a threshold where they were eligible for benefits. Yeah, it's, it's because there's a separate municipal code section, BMC 4.04120, sections A, B, and C, uh, pre-exists this ordinance, and they clarified that certain people are not benefited. Whether I think that's a good idea or not, I'm not trying to use this ordinance to change existing city law. Okay, so meaning that if you were hired as a non-benefited part-time employee and you happen to pick up additional hours, you still would not be benefited. That's how I understand it. That mm -hmm. the not this ordinance, but the other section that you refer to, right? Uh, but I guess it's I guess then there's a clarifying question of like, well, if you're consistently getting more hours, we, you know, there seems to be an issue there, right? Of of um, we shouldn't be hiring you as the non-benefited position then. Mm -hmm. I, I I agree with you on that. And I, I was stunned to find out we have nine groundskeepers who are, some of them work mornings and some of them work afternoons to open up the parks and open up the restrooms and then the other crew come in. And I I don't think it's great that we don't offer these extra hours, but that is something that's separate and apart from this ordinance and their pre-existing status as non-benefited employees. It okay, makes me so sad, but it has nothing to do with this. Okay, so I guess the way to understand this then is we're sort of saying, look, we hired people before this ordinance came into into play, and we're we're going to sort of use that those hiring decisions that we made before this ordinance was in the code, and um, and and if hours shift as a result of this ordinance, we are we are sort of um, going to keep people in, in the sort of classification that they were in. I, I guess that's a way to understand it. That is, this would not change that process. Yeah, but over Why you time, change that? I mean, this is going to be something, obviously, that would be uh, discussed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, you know, through collective bargaining or, or other means, because over time, this is not going to be a change. This will just be the ordinance. And so... Um, in any case, okay, so uh, I guess I'll just leave that that issue, but but it, it does sound like, based on what Mr. Budenhagen said, that at this point in time, we do feel comfortable with the changes that are here in terms of the cost to the city. Is that correct? Is that directed to me or Mr. Budenhagen? Oh, 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 Mr. Budenhagen, if you could just confirm. So yes, I mean, the, as I said in my remarks, the, the only part of the cost that is at this point not clear is if there would be employees who work additional hours that would make them members of PERS as opposed to members of PARS. And we just don't know that yet. We, as Vice Mayor Harrison said, there's a contract that the city has with PERS that currently excludes a bunch of classifications from becoming PERS members. 
some of those classifications have changed since the contract was put in place. Um, so we still need to work through that question per as to whether covered um, under PARS or PERS. And so, you know, that could be an additional cost. We just don't know yet. Okay, so the PERS benefit is 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 a little bit uncertain, but but what about health benefits? We're clear on that. Yes. Okay. Okay. So that's uh, all right. So that makes more sense to me. That okay. So if you picked up a few more hours, you're you're not going to shift into um, being eligible for health benefits, but. But depending, I, I think it also depends, right? If you're consistently getting a lot more hours, then then that's something that we may need to consider in the future. It sounds like uh, okay. I just wanted to be clear about what this was doing and wasn't doing. Um, okay, and then you know, I, I did want to say, you know, I know that um, from the worker perspective there is no distinction whether you work at lifelong or one of our locally um, established restaurants versus a chain restaurant. I, I very much understand and respect what we have heard from public commenters and in the committee about, you know, all workers deserving these protections. I, I do just want to acknowledge what we are hearing from um, Mr. Kaner and, and other representatives of our businesses of the challenges that they have gone through during the pandemic and i was open to i just i'm just stating for the record i was open to an exemption for federally qualified health centers just in light of the fact that their uh, revenue stream you know as far as i understand is dictated by medical rates for the most part which are in this state of california you know is uh, very low and so um, I was open to to some kind of modification for that, and even for uh, the locations that Councilmember Wengraf had suggested. Just seeing that other cities have used that approach, it doesn't look like uh, those options are going to going to be considered tonight. And um, so, so I, 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 as I've said before, I am broadly in support of this ordinance, and I'm prepared to vote yes on it. And I do hope that we can do outreach to businesses and that we can, um, to the extent that there are areas where we might want to modify moving forward, I still have some questions about how this affects the city actually and, and how it might affect other, other industries. You know, I, I hope that we can be open to those. And, and, you know, Vice Mayor Harrison, I would ask you what, um, maybe this is too too big of a question, but it seems to be that there is going to be something determined in some kind of regulation phase, some kind of regulatory mm -hmm. uh, definitions of like the some of these things that Mr. Katz had described. Um, what else uh, could you maybe tell us? You know, what else are has to be worked out in the regulations? I think that's the primary one, the ownership structure. It's very akin to when we passed U1 on the ballot and we had an idea of uh, people that own more than four units and there were these joint ownership structures. The city manager had to work out what is the ownership structure we're actually talking about. So to me, that oh. is the primary thing she's gonna be working okay. on. Also her office will have to work on how inspection of records would work. 
um, if that would be. I'm looking to this as not a heavy-handed city enforcement ordinance, but something that can be, um, you know, put into place and people will follow. Like, we have not had huge problems, frankly, with the minimum wage once it was increased. So, you know, I think she's going to have to put in regulations about what does record keeping look like? How do we examine the records um, and that kind of thing? But this one question is open about the exact ownership structure. But again, that was akin to you one. We have the same question. Okay. Okay. Um, And then, you know, I finally, I just want to say, I know our city manager is not here I felt that she was unfairly maligned at the last meeting. You know, our city staff have worked really hard to get us the information that we uh, have requested. And I just want to thank our staff very much and appreciate, you know, they're, they're working to get this ordinance, um, you know, prepared for us this evening. And uh, that's all I have. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I just want to say how much I appreciate the staff that have worked on this in the last week. It's been really fabulous. Thank you. Yeah, and I think this information is helpful and clearly the the conversations and the additional analysis is, I think, um, clarified that it's not going to have this multi-million dollar impact on the city budget as was initially represented. And um, that, and moreover, the additional amendments do help clarify the scope and address the comments um, and input from staff. Um, and I'm glad that we have this information before we are voting on the ordinance and we could have had it in committee several months ago, but now we have it. And I think it's good that we, we are making an informed decision and are able to amend the ordinance to, to reflect the input from our city staff. So, uh, if I, I don't see any other raised hands for comments. So are there any other questions or comments? Okay. If not, we have a motion and a second, um, and does the clerk have the, the motion? Yes, Mayor, I have the motion as the recommendation as outlined in Vice Mayor Harrison's Supplemental 2 to adopt the ordinance and make the referrals along with the final edit uh, regarding the uh, conferring of benefits to any non-benefited employee. So, And the, the referrals to the budget process. Yes, and the referrals. Yeah. So on the motion, if you're ready. Yes, please call the roll. Council member Kesarwani. Yes. Taplin. Yes. Bartlett. Yes. Harrison. Yes. Hahn. Yes. Wengraf. Council member Wengraf. Uh, we'll come back to her. Council member Robinson. Yes. Drosty is absent. Mayor Erging? Yes. Council member Wengraf is absent. Okay, um, the motion does carry. Um, that completes the business for the special meeting. I'll make a motion to adjourn. Second. Okay, uh, roll call, please. Council member Kesarwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraf is absent. Robinson? Yes. Drosty is absent. Mayor Erging? Yes. Thank you. Okay, the motion does carry. We are adjourned. Everyone have a happy Thanksgiving and thank you for joining us tonight. Recording 